I'm Alex Mito. And I'm James Milley. And this is The Artist Business Plan, your favorite weekly business podcast for artist entrepreneurs, hosted by Superfine Art Fair. Hello, business artists and art entrepreneurs. Welcome back to The Artist Business Plan. My name is Alex Mito, and I'm the CEO and co-founder of Superfine Art Fair, the most widespread art fair for artists in the U.S., as you may or may not know, we're also a business resource for all things art, artists, and marketing your art. And we're here today with one of my good friends, Kurt McVeigh. Kurt McVeigh is a writer, artist, curator, and performer living in New York City. He has contributed to the New York Times, T Magazine, Interview Magazine, Vanity Fair, Paper Magazine, Artnet News, White Hot Magazine, Architectural Digest, Cultured, Forbes, Quiet Lunch, Hyperallergic, and many more. That was a mouthful, Kurt. It's a lot of stuff. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much. So we have a bit of a tradition before we get started. I want to ask you something to help our audience get to know the real Kurt. What's the earliest memory that you have of art? My mom likes to reference this drawing I made when I was a kid. It was a rainbow Rex done in like probably crayon, maybe paint, a sort of like profile of a T-Rex, but it was all like hyper rainbow colors, you know, and I think that's the real me, you know, I think I'm still that like sort of rainbow Rex. I remember being a kid, my mother sort of loving that. So that was maybe my own sort of like youngest art thing that's become sort of memeified in my own life and in my mother's mind, you know. And speaking of my mom, she loved to take me into the city. I grew up in Ridge, which is probably like an hour west of you right now. Alex, it's sort of at like the crotch of the forks of Long Island Ridge, a couple towns over from Riverhead. So she liked to drive in and go to museums with me, the Met, MoMA, Natural History Museum, you know, the typical sort of like, let's go into the city uh, and have this sort of bigger cultural experience. And she was intuitive in understanding that I, I needed that sort of content in my life, you know, and that sort of inspiration. We got to be really grateful to your mom here for encouraging you and actually taking you into the city to see the art. That's probably the most common answer we have here from our guests is someone took them to a museum when they were very young. And it's such a cool thing because we have these public spaces where you can experience art and it becomes a part of a, you know, a child's education so young. Kurt, you spend a lot of time talking to artists and surrounding yourself with art. When you meet an artist, what is the number one thing that you need to learn about them? Right. I kind of go bumbling in, bumbling, fumbling, and stumbling in. My friend uh, Katinka Tabakaru, who's a gallerist, I think Katinka just opened a gallery in Romania. I was playing a recording of Howard Hodgkins, this uh, sort of amazing British painter who passed away a couple of years ago. Before I wrote the piece, I played the recording of the interview, which was done in like, you know, the back rooms of Gagosian uptown. Howard was in a wheelchair. His uh, husband, a little younger than him, was there. So I played the recording and I was like leading the witness and pushing him. And he was very like tight, upper lip, British, didn't want to tell me anything. I didn't really know what I was trying to get out of him. But I remember he said to me, if you expect me to talk about art like I'm in art school, you're sorely mistaken, young lad, you know, or something like that, you know. And I remember Katinka listening to the recording saying to me, she goes, Kurt, why don't you ever just ask an artist, why did you paint that? I thought to myself, I would never be so direct. You know, I would never just be like, hey, why'd you do that? But uh, I like that about Katinka. And I think 
that's sort of why I like Katinka as a gallerist curator. She's sort of like sort of direct in that way, which I like. So the point is, is I like sort of stumbling into the sort of like core impetus behind the impetus for why a certain work or body of work was made. I'm essentially doing like, or modeling a sort of like Freudian analysis with a bunch of Carl Jung, where I'm trying to like dig deep down into some highly personal or deeply archetypal spark of some kind or wound, perhaps. It's like addressing that core impetus. So what was the core impetus behind the Rainbow Rex? Everyone goes through like their dinosaur phase when you're a kid, I hope. Alex, do you have a dinosaur? Oh yeah, I had a dinosaur phase for sure. (laughs) Do you have a favorite dinosaur? I would say the Stegosaurus. Ooh, oh, interesting. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you could do like an analysis on like why a dinosaur is someone's favorite dinosaur. You know? And I think that's what's cool about dinosaurs in general. They have so much personality. There's something aesthetically cool about dinosaurs. I remember when they were making Jurassic Park, there was a lot of conversation around what coloring the various sort of scales would be and the sort of hides on these various giant lizards, because we don't really know what the coloring was. Like there's been too much removal. So, you know, we make these dinosaurs certain colors. And uh, so I don't know, I think maybe there's that, maybe there's like this inherent knowledge as a child where you're like, Hey, a T-Rex could be like some sort of psychedelic rainbow thing. So I don't know. The rainbow obviously has so many connotations uh, as an adult now, you know, but, uh, I like that as sort of everything sort of within the rainbow as some sort of construct or idea and everything about the T-Rex, you know, simultaneously sort of illustrating some sort of weird binary, non-binary sort of thing happening. You know what I mean? I love that you gave a real thoughtful answer to that. I think that's <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. No, no, good. And, and I think that's really the, the kind of the, the lesson here to the artists who are listening. We have Kurt here, who's obviously a fabulous writer, interviewed many artists for many publications. You know, when someone comes to meet with you, let's say it's Kurt or someone else, you know, they're looking for that core impetus behind the impetus in creating your work. What really drove it for you? And I think that's really exciting and it's good for our listeners to kind of absorb that too. Yeah. And addressing the core impetus is, you know, what we all need to do as human beings simultaneously too. And what makes artists amazing is they're willing to do that and then hold up the fruits of doing that. And I think a lot of people who maybe can't relate to art, contemporary art, or especially often simultaneously have a hard time addressing what some sort of core impetus in their own world. So that's what I really like about artists is they're willing to do that deep dive that external and internal dive and sort of share what they've learned outwardly and sort of openly and stand behind that. All people need to be doing this. Even if you're not creating art, you need to be sort of exploring these core impulses and and why we have them. I love it. And we get a lot of entrepreneurs listen to this program too. So I think that's interesting for them as well, doing that kind of deep dive into like what's driving you and then doubling down on that. It's so, so important. And then again, for you artists listening being able to not only express that in your art, but express that when you're talking about your art and sharing your art with others, I think, you know, it really gives you a wider forum, I guess, to share it with, you know, whether it's a writer or just a, you know, any other setting where you're meeting someone who's appreciating your work that you know what you're talking about and why you created it. I think it's a really neat conversation point. What qualities have you found in some of the successful artists that you've met that inspire you and might inspire some of our listeners who might be artists out there who are looking for this type of advice? 
every artist brings an entirely unique package uh, and cornucopia of inspiration, flavors of inspiration. To be able to sort of come into contact with many artists, you're picking up all these different flavor is the best way to put it. I like sort of looking for that in the individual artist. What about your story is inspirational, right? I think, you know, there's this conversation that goes back to Carl Jung and Deeper and Joseph Campbell is is like, artists to me are heroes and sort of philosophers and sort of warrior poets and, and stuff. And these are sort of old archetypes, like they're not new, you know, we've had writers and artists for a long time in Western civilization and before, you know, they've always been sort of rogues and they've always been on the cusp. You know, a lot of the best writers were burned at the stake. You know what I mean? A lot of artists were hanged and sort of mutilated and, you know, and others venerated and others forgotten and, the poetry and the comedy and the tragedy of, of so many artistic narratives are so chock full of inspiration and connecting with artists who are living and doing it, you know, to be able to sort of tap into them and sort of find how they're finding inspiration themselves in this moment and how to sort of share that inspiration with as many people as possible. You address the core impetus and then you diagnose what's inspirational about what they've done with that core impetus and what obstacles they've surmounted to execute something like, let's say, a big solo show or a big museum show. Like there's like a tremendous amount of work. And most artists have these like rags to riches stories. Some don't, a lot don't, you know, but the ones that do, the ones that sort of found their way with their art and sort of achieved you know, and this is the artist business plan. So it's like achieve some sort of financial success or sustainability within the American system, I think is cool. You know, until we openly renounce that we're going to play a capitalistic game, it's like, you got to play it until we all agree to stop doing that. And who knows if we should, I, I don't think we should. As long as we're playing this capitalistic game and we're going to sort of partake in the goings on of the economy. And if you can do that with your creative works and your creative output, then I find that just that alone to be incredibly inspirational. I love it. So artists, ask yourself, how are you finding inspiration and how are you sharing that with the world? And like Kurt said, I mean, we're working within this system where this is where we're at and this is what we're doing until that's renounced finding, if that is, if that were to be renounced, finding ways of, you know, achieving that success and validation in it is inspirational when artists actually achieve that success as well. So it's kind of like your inspiration can be actually just being successful at your work. And I find that really interesting. Yeah. Like Alex today, an artist called me literally like an hour ago and it's like doing a pop-up uh, not far from where I'm at in the West village. You know, he's like, Hey, I want to get some press for this, but uh, you know, I know you've written about me a couple of times, but I would love if you could put like a little press release together and here's a budget and cool. You know, let's meet and get a coffee and write this thing if you want, you know, it's just an afternoon phone call where there's, it's not like a tremendously high paying job writing the press release for an artist, but it's just one of those things as a writer where it's like, you're connecting with an artist in a maybe different capacity than if you're putting a piece into the public sphere, but it's just like a, a little gig and an opportunity to sort of connect with all those things that we just spoke about in an artist. Right. So it's like, I'm not writing the article, but I'm going to talk about what writers can do with what this artist is doing right now and get sort of paid doing that. That's just like a little business thing I'll sort of throw out there is 
being a writer or being an art writer or being an arts and culture journalist, all that's really about is having access to the core impetus and access to the inspiration, you know, at least formerly face-to-face and in person. So opening your horizons to understanding that being a writer or being a journalist in the art world, that's just the tip of the spear for what you do once you've been sort of afforded the access. And that involves all those other things, right? The sort of production, curation, those critiques, you do those studio visits and like serious critiques where you're lending quite a bit of value. When you get to a certain point, value meaning like, how is this work going to be contextualized in the press and the media? And what type of language are you using? Where are you at? The art writer plays many roles, which is what I like most about it. No, I totally get that. And I want to go a little off script here. There's this concept I really love, which is having serious fun. And serious fun is the fun that any artist gets or any entrepreneur doing the work that you love to do and enjoying doing it. So Kurt, as a journalist, do you have that kind of sense of like serious fun? Do you have more fun when artists open up to you about that inspiration and about that impetus and make that like available to you as a writer? Yeah, yeah, the fun, the fun, yeah. You know, part of the access is fun stuff. To some degree, this might involve a conversation about what does it mean to be a critic, right? If we're talking about like perks and access in other ways, I am of the generation to some degree or a disciple of a generation at least that was like a little bit gonzo, the sort of Tom Wolfe meets Hunter S. Thompson, sort of Kerouac like all like sort of white dudes in their mid thirties are like some to, and are writers or want to be writers are to some degree sort of disciples of one or two or three or more of, you know, those guys among many other writers where there's the sort of like, you know, I just visited Hemingway's home, Alex, right. He liked a good whiskey, a good bourbon, you know, <laughs> Scott, good beer. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, yeah. but one thing I'll say is what's been interesting is what we've experienced over 2020 is the pulling of, you know, the, the rug out from underneath the social aspect of the art world, you know, the openings and the parties and the after party dinners, et cetera, et cetera, the galas, the removal of the ability to congregate art fairs after parties, but also when you realize like, Hey, I'm not drinking a glass of white wine every Thursday, that's opening me up to a night of partying. And then a social obligation on the weekend to, you know, burn the candle hard, rolling into the old Bowery, so to speak, and getting wild and having those crazy New York nights. To some degree, that's become, uh, you know, a vestige of the past, at least temporarily. You know, the other night I was having, you know, delusions that I'm like in some sort of Dionysian transfiguration, you know what I mean? And I'm like, wait, no, ground yourself, relax. You know, you're just hanging out. <laughs> so yeah, I have fun. You know, I'm trying to check my privilege. I appreciated 2020 providing the time and space for me to be like kind of quiet and humble and learn to shut up and sort of listen a little bit more and, you know, maybe to some degree put the man about town to bed. You know what I'm saying? That interview mag hustle, like where Andy's at everything. It's like, you don't got to be that guy anymore, dude. You know, like relax. Do you find that there's been any impact on, you know, how well you've gotten to know the people you've interviewed, the artists and like the actual quality at all of the conversations? Have you seen any impact in 2020 and 2021? Like 
gotten deeper or closer or has it just been more difficult? I think a core group of artists have really sort of leaned into me and onto me in a cool way. I think a lot of black artists have taken a lot of time and space for many a reason, personally connected and simultaneously, you know, reclaiming a sort of totality of space. You know, I think on my own end, learning to sort of be, be quiet, hold space and, you know, when to get up in it, when to connect and say what's up, but also sort of know like we can sort of like touch base at a time where we're all less stressed out by the present political circumstances. You know what I'm saying? So not to immediately become political, but I think listening to Biden talk about unity today and coming together as Americans, like I think we had to cross that threshold. I think a threshold that felt really good today uh, where we can really sort of reconnect uh, as a whole, sort of heal a lot of sort of wounds. 2020 has been a time for a lot of space. I do find that people are calling me a lot. You know, like I'll get phone calls from artists and they just got to like take 20 minutes to like unload and mess with me and uh, kind of like shoot some ideas and stuff. So it's been a little like reclaiming of space, some, some quiet time, some serendipitous reconnections, some deeper bonds forged. But ultimately, like what I've learned is it's okay to chill. You know, for a person who's been conditioned for at least you know, the last decade of high production, high output, showing up, pulling up at everything to be met with no choice, but to just chill out and kind of meditate and sort of be quiet and watch this last year unfold has been like really intense at times and really sort of beautiful at times. I don't know about other people, but I feel really good and I feel really optimistic. Yeah. We all get into that mode sometimes where it's just like, you know, Thursday night art show, supportive friends art show, do this, do that. And then there's not much room in there for yourself sometimes. And I think we don't know, we hope this pandemic doesn't go on much longer. And hopefully you are listening to this at a time when it's a thing of the past, but if it does, or if, you know, something else should happen in the future, even if it does not, if it's not external, making that time and space, you know, as you're talking about Kurt, but for some of our artists out there too, making that time and space to really reconnect with yourself and like you said, you know, forge, make some of those bonds deeper and really build from there, I think is a really important thing to think about. Just to give some people some context, because this may air at a later date, today was the inauguration day. So a lot of us have watched today and kind of the culmination of a very difficult year, actually, four years on our minds. So that is where Kurt is coming from on that. Yeah. Hey, Alex, I just want to say this one line that Biden said. He said, the dream of justice for all will be deferred no longer. You know, I think that's like a bit of Langston Hughes and some other things and, you know, appropriating some constitutional doctrine. But uh, I just love that. And, you know, I think people, people who know me and people appreciate my writing, they know that a lot of what I've done has been about that and sort of taking us to a point where, you know, Biden can say that where it's like acknowledging the history of this country, but also kind of demanding to some degree that we all come together in in healing and insanity and compassion and really getting getting in the same boat together and sailing forward you know and that's always where i'm going to be i'm always going to be like hey let's let's stay in it together we're better together we're better stronger and we're better when we we talk to each other not yell at each other i love that and i love the quote 
And I also like how you said, get in the same boat and sail together. I think that's so cool and something we should all be thinking about going forward into this coming year and beyond. So switching gears a little bit in this maybe a bit of a loaded question, Kurt, but you freelance for a lot of big publications. You've written for many. If I'm an artist looking to be covered, what are some tips you have for getting some of those bigger name publications or writers interested in my work? If we're talking about arts and culture, we're talking about representation. There has to be a sort of novel component hearing today talking about Kamala Harris, first black, Asian woman, vice president. You know, there's a story there. And I think culture, generally speaking, is in a place where we're trying to sort of amplify these these sort of novel shifts in society and in, in culture. And I think we're seeing that directly reflected in art. And Alex, I don't know, by the way, uh, did you see this painting? The Smithsonian donated, I believe, to the White House and to the Bidens. It's this beautiful landscape by Robert S. Duncanson, this landscape with rainbow, uh, rainbow callback, by the way, Alex. <laughs> yeah, so Robert S. Dun- Duncanson, who's this sort of African-American sort of landscape painter. I think that's beautiful because you know, it's a landscape painting, number one, right? It's not so much about sort of overt representation. And I love that the White House is acknowledging this painting by an African-American man from the late 1800s who's doing a landscape about a sort of utopian American, not wilderness, but sort of space for everyone to sort of cohabit together. Again, while constantly sort of recognizing Native American experience, the sort of larger African-American experience, but taking this moment, and when I saw that unveiled sort of post-inauguration, this beautiful painting, I thought that was, in a way, this sort of artistic critique where, to some degree, I think it, it was an acknowledgement sort of post-Obama portraits of opening us up to representation without sort of overt painterly representation, even though I'm not saying that needs to go anywhere. I still support that. But uh, I would recommend people look into that painting. And uh, I posted it on my Instagram, so you can sort of go check it out. But it was really interesting. I thought that was cool. Yeah, I just Googled it myself. It is a beautiful painting. I think it's a very timely gesture. And I think that's kind of what I'm gathering from your response. You know, if, if from an artist's perspective, rather than just being like, I want to get press, I'm putting on a show, I deserve press. But thinking about how am I doing something that's timely, that's representational, that's you know ultimately going to be interesting and fit with the zeitgeist that's going on at the moment that you're you know that you're doing this in. Right. Like the minute I see this painting, I see other arts journalists scrambling and being like, I want to write about this painting in this sort of context of behind why this painting was selected, the story behind this painting. Uh, we'll probably see journalistic investigations into who that artist was. That's a story that you you could probably pitch in this moment successfully, you know, at various publications. And then also it evokes the conversation of who has a right to write that story, right, Alex? So like what I've been talking about a lot is like, I'm interested in that. Like I'm interested in who that guy is. And do we still have to have this conversation about am I the right guy to write that article? And perhaps we do. So these are a lot of questions we need to ask. I think the larger question for artists and what I've pushed back against is don't make art because it's press worthy. Just because you have a cool message behind your art doesn't mean your art is good. Just because there's a good message doesn't mean it's worthy of sort of larger objective praise, you know, like props for making it and putting good vibes out there and make art that is really true to yourself, which means being true to your surroundings and the current 
landscape of things, but not making art because it's press worthy. And more and more, this has been happening. I think art schools have been uh, sort of compelling artists to make work that is immediately relevant to current affairs. I think we've been operating in a place of real political urgency, which is why we've been seeing that. But again, going back to uh, that painting I was just referencing, I think we can now move into a more vast space. And it has to be vast because it has to provide space for all of us. So I hope to some degree artists take up that charge as well, You know, which is like moving into a more vast space while still being completely true to one's experience. Yeah, definitely. And that, you know, that's something that is a repeating topic on this podcast is just, you know, really being authentic and true to yourselves and not creating something. You're always going to be straddling that line. And we're, we're talking a lot about press and quote unquote, getting press on this episode, which of course, you're looking for that in that timeliness that, you know, that way that you can be relevant. But at the same time, anytime you create something just to be relevant, it's transparent, and it's not going to read well. So you really have to be authentic to yourself and kind of it's a, it's, that's the work, right? Is finding how do you get the attention and how do you get the traction, but also be authentic to yourself, not choose one over the other. Right. And Alex, the best artists are the ones who do that well, right? The ones who understand, Hey, I need to react to the world around me, but I'm going to do it in a way that is so highly specific to me. And novelty beyond identity, but novel in terms of doing something new and exciting, doing something new and exciting in a particular medium or in a particular space or doing something where people go, whoa, that's interesting. That's cool. Start from there is a a good place. Yep. So artists go out there and do something new and exciting. I completely agree. So Kurt, to write about the, you know, new shows and current happenings in the art world, you're obviously, you're at least striving to be in front of the curve at all times. How do you stay ahead of the buzz so you can write about it? And then also part B, how can our artists learn to be ahead of what's going on in the art world besides obviously reading your articles? For writers, like when you're starting out, it's good to like put your email on every gallery book. You know what I mean? And a lot of the people who are there, the gallery assistants or, you know, their media press people, they're going through these emails and they're figuring out who does what. If you've done a couple articles and you put your name down on these books, like, you know, maybe an internal press person reaches out to you and says, hey, come to this press preview or, hey, do you want to go do a studio visit here or this or that? Put your sort of contact information out there. What I'll say for me, after years of accumulating various sort of emailed press releases and and newsletters from various galleries, I found that in 2020, I was doing like high level bonsai pruning of epic unsubscribing to a large degree, you know, where it's like, to what degree is this gallery really relevant to my life or this program relevant to me as a writer and a person? Also... I'm at a point now where I want people to reach out with a personal touch. So if I'm just like inundated all the time, it doesn't really help me. It's just like sort of mostly noise. So I found that like with real pruning down to the things that you appreciate, it makes things a lot more manageable. You know, as an artist, how do I stay ahead of what's going on in the art world? Like in the way that a journalist might do it, right? Because a lot of times artists, you know, can end up in sort of an insular space where they're not seeing all the new things going on around the world. Whereas you might be seeing that as someone who writes about it. How would they do that? What I would say is educate yourself about what's out there to the best of your ability. I mean, there's still so much virtual content as an artist you could look at. And obviously all these magazines and newspapers are just 
sort of filled with art all the time. Get out there and do your research on what's happening. Like go to all these different magazines, newspapers, and just like sort of catch up. As far as like making your own art, it's more important to like stay ahead of yourself. That like Mario Kart race your ghost. Like, are you pushing yourself forward? I have artists that come to me and it's like, yo, I literally did an article on you three years ago about that same stuff. Like, I'm not even interested in talking about that again. Don't bore people. Like, like push it into a new space. What I would say also for artists is like, listen to feedback. Like, feedback is good. And know when to ignore it, too. But at least be open to hearing it. And the artists who I've seen that are open to feedback, not just from me, but from other people, and sort of incorporate things into their work, into their process, they usually excel. You know, So getting, getting feedback, opening yourself up to feedback is good. So artists, what Kurt's saying here, are you staying ahead of yourself? Ask yourself that question. And I really, really like the concept of being open to feedback, but also knowing when to ignore it. And it reminds me of the Baz Luhrmann song from the 90s, Wear Sunscreen. And I can't remember exactly, but it's just something like, be patient with the advice that people supply, but you don't have to take it. Like, seek the advice, seek the feedback, but also know when to ignore it, I think is really, really important. I also want to circle back to the first part of the question that you answered, Kurt, because I'm the kind of person, this is a little bit of technical piece, I get overwhelmed by too many emails in my box, right? So I totally agree with you. Go out there, get your name. If you're an artist and you want to see what other artists are doing, what galleries are doing, what's happening out there, get your name on those mailing lists. But you can also you know, create a new folder on your Gmail or whatever email server that you use specifically for those. So you're not inundated with them all day long. You can kind of set some time. Be like, okay, I'm going to check up on things and see what's going on out there and not have it like we're so used to the, the feed right now and just kind of a constant feed of information and content. It's nice to kind of separate it out and see it when you need to see it. What is one more top word of advice that you have for an artist out there who's really focused on making art their business? Put it out there. We're at a point where I think people are really hungry for new content. It's like hard to make content now. Like it's hard to make like new video content. So I think like if you're at home and you can make cool art right now, there's like a sort of added value to it because I think it's new content and I think homo sapiens have become really addicted to new content. So if you're doing anything with a unique voice and you just like kind of put it out there, I've also found that people on social media really, really value creatives. They value people who have like a voice and are willing to put it out there. And so what I would say, if like you're a new artist, like really try to engage on social media. And what I will also say is I know gallerists who get bored and go on Instagram and they see something, they slide into the DMs, and suddenly they're selling that work to major collectors and like changing an artist's life. You know, so keep going out there. And what I would say is probably engage with the social media algorithms with particular galleries. You know what I mean? So like get out there and engage because those people are going on these various apps, etc. They're looking for stuff. They're constantly hunting stuff down. You know, so if you even make one great painting, you know, that could be a beautiful calling card for you, uh, not only on your social media platforms, but in front of collectors, you know, they might see one, one painting right now and you might be in a different state and they might not have any idea what's going on in your studio because they can't for various reasons and might be willing to give those artists an opportunity. Hey, listen, uh, can you make a certain amount of work? And then maybe when we get back to normal, we can do a show. So just keep creating right now. Now is a great time to create. 
a great time to put content out there. People are hungry for it. That's perfect, Kurt. Artists, it's a great time to create new awesome content and also to stay engaged on social media. And I would totally agree with you, Kurt. A lot of people are, for lack of a better word, bored and just scrolling and they want to, you know, you have to be there for them, meet the moment. And I think that's an awesome way to end this. So to all of you artists out there, Kurt has been sharing his amazing perspective and words with us today. You're going to want to go back and listen again. You can do that on our website at www.superfine.world. If you want to connect with Kurt, you can follow him at YN Cambone, and that will be in the show notes on Instagram at Kurt McVeigh on Twitter or visit KurtWithYou.com to find more ways to connect with Kurt and also read his amazing writing. Thank you. Remember that we are Superfine Art Fair on Instagram. If you want to give us a quick hello or learn more about how to apply for and exhibit at one of our upcoming fairs around the U.S., drop us a line at artistsmakingmoney at superfine.world. That's artistsmakingmoney at superfine.world. And as always, I would like to end this episode by sharing a quick quote with you all. The true use of art is first to cultivate the artist's own spiritual nature. And that's George Innes. Kurt, it has been such a pleasure having you with us today. Thanks for joining. I really appreciate it. Alex, uh, you know, I love you and thank you so much. I look forward to what uh, you have coming up. Everybody have an awesome rest of your day. Remember to stay on top of your artist business plan. Be positive, get out there and make it happen. We've been loving your feedback and are so glad that you are finding the podcast helpful. If you have a spare minute, we would love if you reviewed us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to the artist business plan. It really helps other artists discover the podcast who are also looking to level up their careers. Thanks for joining us for another episode of The Artist Business Plan, a weekly business podcast for artist entrepreneurs brought to you by Superfine Art Fair. Hosted by Superfine CEO Alex Mito and co-founder slash professional artist James Milley, join us and leaders in the art, marketing, and business arenas each week for tips, tricks, and value bombs designed to help you thrive and sell more art. For more information on applying to Superfine Art Fair, as well as recordings of this in all of our past podcasts, just visit www.superfine.world. We love to hear what you have to say, so just follow us on Instagram at Superfine Art Fair and shoot us a message to let us know you're listening. Looking for a more personal connection or want to exhibit at an upcoming fair? Just shoot us an email at artistsmakingmoney at superfine.world and we'll get right back to you. That's artistsmakingmoney at superfine.world.